Good morning. Love that, uh, praise God. My dad used to tell the folks in the choir, if you ever miss a lyric, you know, just say hallelujah. <laughs> That's how we do things in the Pentecostal church, if anything, just, just say hallelujah. Um, love that gospel text. I'm preaching from the Old Testament lectionary text, though. Have you heard that before? That I seem to be saying every week. Um, I love the prophets. I really love the prophets. They're um, bringing peculiar strength to me in this season. And the Old Testament text for today is from Joel chapter 2, which Joel is an especially enigmatic book among the prophets. Uh, We know next to nothing about the person of Joel or really the context of Joel. Even among good scholarship, attempts to date Joel uh, really range about 800 years apart. Uh, because it's, it's all fairly vague, uh, exactly who Joel was, exactly when he lived, exactly what was going on uh, around him. Uh, only three short chapters in our English translations. Uh, you can read the whole book in about probably 15 minutes. And ostensibly what seems to be happening here is that this is a time uh, after Israel has had some sort of plague. There are a number of references to the locusts that came. So whether or not um, it it was an actual plague like we read about uh, in the book of Exodus, kind of revisiting, and uh, they experience this as God's judgment, or some people conjecture that perhaps, because, you know, so many times through Israel's history, as they're invaded by other armies and they're raided, maybe this is a poetic way in talking about the locusts and what they take to speak about what the the enemies of the people of God have done to them. Uh, We're not exactly clear about any of this, but it's such a... It's just such an interesting little book, and one that, uh, to be so short and uh, to, to know so little as we do about it, that becomes so significant in the history of the church and in the New Testament even. So with all of that uh, in view, Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 23, says, O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication." He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And actually, this is maybe one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. I think it's so beautiful. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. My great army, which I sent against you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Verse 28, then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heaven and on the earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness 
and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you are the restorer. Thank you that you are the one who, uh, for all the years that the locusts have eaten, even the locusts, even the armies that would seem to have come from you as a sign of judgment, whatever the source, wherever they came from, you are the one who restores you are the one who brings new life. You are the life on the other side. And I pray specifically this morning that for those who, um, who feel that the years have taken a lot from them, that for those who uh, feel weary from the journey, God, that this morning that we would experience uh, the, the very power of your spirit that Joel prophesies about, that the day will come the time always comes when your spirit comes to restore us, when you pour out your presence and your glory amongst us, and those who have walked in darkness, those who have walked in shame, those who have walked in hurt, uh, you declare, will not be put to shame anymore. You are our God, and you are in the midst of your people. Make us, make yourself known to us now, we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I love this idea that the time comes, the Lord says, to all of his people, when I'm going to restore whatever the years have, have taken. Because the years are able to take a lot. Locusts are able to eat a lot of things. One of my best friends asked me a, a few weeks ago, talking a little bit about my past, where I am now, and redemptive things the Lord is doing. But asked this, asked the question: um, Is essentially, is it worth it? Like for where you are now, like kind of, is it worth it? And I really didn't know how to answer that. So grateful for all the ways that the Lord makes Himself known to me now. Also, still profoundly aware of a lot of loss and ambiguity. I don't feel like I'm on the far side of all of those things yet. But I believe in the God who restores. I believe in the God who makes all things right, uh, tremendous comfort in a text like this one, and then this promise that comes. And keep in mind that this is a, a book that's addressed to Israel as a, as a nation state, as a tribe, as a particular people. This is written to them, not, not to us. This is written to Israel. And God says to Israel, that is his chosen people, um, his light to the nations, he says to them that this move of the Spirit that's going to come, this work that he is going to do, is not going to just be for them, but that beginning with what this restorative work that God is going to do amongst his own people, he says, the time is going to come when I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's the language of the text. All flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's a big vision. This is not unlike when God makes his covenant with Abraham and he says, not only am I going to make you great, not only am I going to make your name great, give you a people that's going to be great, but ultimately through you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What God was doing in Israel as his chosen people from the beginning was never just about them, just like whatever God is doing in us. It's never about us. I don't feel like this is the right time for my whole detour about election. Not, not that election. The is in the elect. People hear the word elect in the way that God chooses, and they so often think of this in terms of like that God has special pets, and some are chosen, others are not, which really misunderstands the whole idea. Like The whole reason that God chooses anybody, uh, Chris Green says this beautifully, actually, better than anybody I know, that the elect are chosen for the sake of the non-elect, uh, that, that God elects as an act of vocation because he wants to draw others. So it's not like you're my pet and you're set apart and I hate everybody else, but rather uh, that God, the people that God chooses then become the vehicle through which this light comes to the nations where ultimately all are called, all who will call on the name of the Lord, Joel says, will be saved. And what this looks like, man, I really don't know. Now, we, of course, know that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he preaches this text. And so clearly, Peter understands that what happened on the day of Pentecost is at least the beginning of the fulfillment of this text, um, that they were already entering into those kinds of last days. This is that, Peter says, which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days says, God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So that at least is the beginning of it. That's the partial fulfillment of it. Now, how far that goes and what it looks like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I know that it's big. I know that it's vast. You know, um, when I, I was thinking about this this week with a lot of affection, I was thinking about how often when I was kind of growing up in the churches that I did in very Pentecostal, charismatic churches, people talked a lot about like the idea of this great end-time kind of revival. Anybody else ever hear about this? Like this notion that like they're kind of right before the end. And I remember I'm thinking about right now Brother T.L. Lowry, uh, all six foot four of him with his snow white hair back and these impeccable suits and this gravelly voice. And I'm hearing him right now in my head talking about the last day revival and how the football stadiums are going to be filled and brother Sam Donaldson will be out there reporting and he's going to start speaking in tongues and he's going to fall out. I have this really precious memory of that. That was him. He's like, he was thinking of reporters who were going to be slain in the spirit and football stadiums that were going to be like, you know, which, which sounds awesome to me. Like I have no objection to that. I don't even have a critique of it. Like I'm, I'll just say, if that's what the end-time revival looks like, I'm on board. Sign me up for that. I mean, I, know, I don't think Sam Donaldson's around anymore, but I'll, I'll, I'll lay hands on folk, whatever. Like, I'm, I believe in all the stuff. But that was, that was the way we would often talk about it, is that towards the end, there's going to be this very particular kind of move of God, this, really, this kind of sweeping revival. You know, I do believe something has to come that, that, that sweeps, because I know that what God does among his, his people is, once again, always a gift for the, for the whole world and for the, the whole church. In the same way that I described how what God was doing for Israel was not just for Israel. Um, I believe that to be true when I'm, whenever I think about the way that God has moved in Pentecostal and charismatic movements. You know, that's not just for that part of the body of Christ, but for the whole body of Christ. Um, the, the, the entire church is Pentecostal. Uh, the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the whole church. The gift of Pentecost is the birthright of the entire church. And our, I, I think those of us who come from that part of Christian tradition, one of the things we're supposed to do 
is help the rest of the body of Christ discover the ways in which she is already Pentecostal, in which these gifts are already present because they are for the whole body. They are for all of God's people. And one way or the other, surely whatever God wants to do in the world by his spirit, surely this connects with what Isaiah prophesies when he says the time will come when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is a big vision. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for a tribe. It's not just for, you know, it's not for one denominational group to kind of wear on its lapel that we have the spirit. Yes, we do. We have the spirit. How about you? I don't think you do. We're the spirit people. You are not. You know, there's not, there's not insiders and outsiders in that way, right? Like this is part of something much bigger, much broader, much more comprehensive. And yet the thing, and this is where I really want to land for the last bit of time that we have, the thing that strikes me so much about this text, and when Peter's preaching this on the day of Pentecost, he does not leave this part out. He doesn't just quote the part about how in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and dreams and visions of all that. He also includes the second part of it, which is much more mysterious. This is the language of the sun turning dark. This is the language of the moon turning to blood. This is apocalyptic language, apocalyptic language. Apocalypse is not ever about, it's never just been about. We, we think of the word apocalypse um, largely about in terms of judgment and uh, some of these sort of spectacular kind of fiery kind of signs. That's part of it. But the word apocalypse at its core simply means to uncover or to reveal. And whenever in Scripture apocalyptic language is used, uh, this is always the language of unveiling and of uncovering. Uh, it, not to say that these actual signs or manifestations don't happen, but they, they, they portend something larger. They're trying to tell us something more. So, for example, when Jesus, is ra- when Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, I don't think we talk about this part sufficiently. I mean, I, one of my favorite parts is like the resurrection narrative. Do you remember how creepy everything gets in Jerusalem when Jesus raised from the dead? There's this account of dead people who are now walking around Jerusalem. Do you remember seeing that? I'm not making that up, right? Now you're, there's these old saints of God are being seen in the old city, and the veil is rent in the temple, and there's an earthquake, like all that kind of stuff. All of that is apocalyptic language. And, and what it's attempting to communicate to us is that somehow what has happened in the resurrection of Jesus has wrought some kind of change for the whole world. Reality has been altered. Something is different about the creation now. The whole world looks different because of what happened to Jesus. Because what happened to him, gosh, this is not, whatever happens to Jesus has implications for, for, all, for all created things. So stuff is trembling and shaking and there's earthquake and there's bodies walking around. There's all these apocalyptic things going on. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, God is revealing his purposes in a unique way. God is revealing his heart to us in a unique way. But for me, the the strangeness of this image is that you put both of these things together, this wonderful promise of, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters prophesy, yes. Visions and dreams, I say yes to that part. And right alongside that comes the the sun going dark and the moon turning to blood. 
So which is it, right? Is it judgment or is it the outpouring of God's Spirit? Yes, it is. Is it light or is it dark? You know, it really is. Is it, is it blessing? Is it wonderful? Or is it catastrophic? Yeah, it most definitely is all of those things happening at the same time. Now, I'm not smart enough to know. I don't have any charts and graphs. I know a lot about the charts and graphs. And if this gives me extra credibility with some of you, I just want you to know that I have once preached at a conference with Perry Stone. I just want you all to know that. I was doing what I do in the morning, and at night he was talking about the Noah Code and the Apocalypse Code. So if you're one of those folks, just stick that in your pipe and smoke it, see, because like, I've, got, I've got credentials is all I'm saying. Me and Perry are tight. He has all these charts and stuff. I am not smart enough to know how any of that is supposed to work out in terms of like the end of days. Like, I, I don't know that. I, my, I, I think timelines and charts are, are very unreliable. I know that sometimes, um, I know that I often think, and I think a lot of people do these days, this sort of general sense of, wow, um, we're just going to hell in a handbasket, aren't we? And we think this is going to be the end. But, you know, people have thought that before. And when, um, in uh, AD 70, when the temple is destroyed in Jerusalem, a lot of people thought that was the end, end. And it was the end of an era. It was the end of the world as they knew it, to quote a great REM song. But it wasn't the end of everything, you know? So, you know, we, we, we don't know. Like, I, don't, I, I believe in the second coming of Jesus, but in terms of what happens when and where, I have long since given up on speculating about any of that. What I do know is this. I do know that the greater the amount of trauma, whether that's great trauma in the world, whether that's great trauma in ourselves, uh, whenever and however it is that we experience deep travail in the world, Paul will use that language in Romans 8 about how the whole creation is groaning. The whole creation is groaning, longing for the manifestation of, of the sons of God. The earth itself is groaning. What I do believe is that the greater the trauma, the greater the transformation is that God wants to bring that the greater the shaking that's surely correlative to that is a greater demonstration of God's spirit for those who are looking for it. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It feels like, it can feel like everything's being turned upside down. And realistically, at least for me, I come to these moments in my life when I feel like I'm being turned upside down. Do you know this feeling? Like you're just being turned inside out? And, and that, that feeling of, God, what exactly are you doing to me? <laughs> Am I going to survive this? And it just, oh, everything is so, and yet, oh, and there are real reasons that these things feel scary. Yeah, because there's like fire and smoke and moon turned, like, <laughs> the world is, as you've known it, completely upside down. And yet, surely, the, the, the greater that conflict is, the greater the tension is, the greater the struggle, surely alongside of that, this God who is always in the business of 
bringing restoration to his people, restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. Surely there's something beautiful that he wants to do in the midst of that. Maybe it's a long way around to to say it, but I think I'm trying to say a, a, a pretty simple thing, that it is always the nature of how God's spirit works, that the spirit is always at work in chaos. Out of the chaos in Genesis 1 is where God speaks life and order, right, right into the midst of all of that. As the body of Christ, we have to believe that. Instead of just simply being roped into the chaos, instead of just being a bundle of nerves, no condemnation on that. Once again, I am often a bundle of nerves, but I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too. Instead of being sucked up somehow into that, to instead face these moments where things feel chaotic with the encouragement of the people who know that it is precisely in and through the chaos that the Spirit is poured out for those who are looking, for those who are open, for those who are available. So I really do believe whether or not stadiums are going to be packed for that kind of revival, I, I do not know. But I do feel like somehow that all the hurt that continues to be exposed and the pain that continues to be exposed and all the wrestling and all the trembling and all the shaking, that in the midst of that, that God has good purposes for his people and that as God did for, as it was for Israel, there are specifically good things that God wants to do in us for the sake of the world. Uh, Again, Paul's language in Romans 8 is that the creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. Oh, Wow. I like preaching without notes sometimes. This is, these are things that wouldn't happen either way sometimes for me. Um, that in Romans 8, Paul says that the creation is groaning and longing and sighing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And in Joel, the prophecy is, I will pour out my spirit on my sons and daughters, and, my, and the sons and daughters are going to prophesy. That's what the world is waiting. The world is waiting for that kind of witness. The world is waiting for that unique witness of people who are living in the midst of the same chaos, in the same fight, in the same struggle, feeling all the same tensions. We're all all going through the same kinds of things just like anybody else. And yet, we bear witness to a different account. There is a counter-narrative of what God is doing in us. Whatever traumatic things are happening around us is not the whole story. We have a different story. We have a story of how God's redemption and God's plan, God's good purposes are being worked out right in the thick of that. And the sons and daughters of God in the midst of great despair, of great desolation, are, have a voice that is able to speak hope, a voice that's able to speak consolation, not cheap hope, not false hope, not the kind of hope that says, it ain't really that bad, you're going to be fine. It's all good. No big deal. That's not true. The last couple of weeks I was preaching from, uh, from Jeremiah, and you know, we've got all those warnings in Jeremiah about the false prophets who go around saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. I'm not talking about that kind of false, cheap hope, but like the, the real hope of consolation that comes from God, that, that, he, that he speaks his peace to us, that he speaks his, I just, goodness. This text in Joel when it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, I want to make sure that you get this vision here. See, the idea is that in the Old Testament, there were just a handful of prophets. There were these colorful figures 
that God would raise up from time to time, uh, sometimes to speak words of comfort, sometimes to speak words of judgment, almost always on the margins of society. God raised up these unique voices uh, to speak on his behalf, these, these special anointed prophets. The vision that Joel has here is that the time comes where God's spirit is poured out in such a way to where all of his sons and daughters are prophesying. So this is not, not just about people who are in vocational ministry. This isn't just about people or whatever, that all the sons and daughters begin to speak the praises of God. All of them be, to begin to proclaim God's truth in a way that, that also turns the world upside down. So that's part of what's so interesting is that, huh, a lot happening in my brain in this moment, that in the same way that things are being turned upside down out there in ways that just feel like trauma, part of the gift of it, part of the gift of how the Spirit works in the chaos is that now there are other things that are turning upside down too. So, for example, instead of now the Word of God just coming through a, a handful of, of male prophets, now what Joel says is going to happen, time comes where God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh and the sons and the daughters are prophesying. Slaves are prophesying. The poor are prophesying. People who have had no voice before are now speaking God's truth. People that had no place at the table before are now speaking God's truth. And I don't know why I just feel like punching this right now, but I really do. I just want to say a word of encouragement to the daughters who are here, because I don't know where you grew up or how you grew up or what kind of voices are, are in your life, but I just want to tell you this, my sisters, sisters in Christ, daughters, if God has put a word inside of you, you've got to speak that. The world needs you to speak that. The world needs that unique witness of the Spirit of God that speaks through the, the truth through his daughters. And whether or not you've been in an environment before where anybody else has valued your voice, whether they've listened to you, I want to tell you that, that, that we're listening and that God is eager, God delights to see his daughters getting after it and doing what they're called to do. And if there's anything I'm saying right now that could just stir up the gifts of God inside of some of the daughters, I just want you to be encouraged in that, that God's hand is on you. If he's given you something to say, say it. If he's given you something to do, do it. But in these days, oh, Lord, we do. But I don't have the platform. I don't have the way. See, that, this is the upside of apocalypse. <laughs> you didn't have a voice before, Sure. But see, now everything's getting turned upside down. <laughs> that's, what's so, that's what's so beautiful about it. In the old world, the way that it was ordered, maybe there wasn't space for you. But now that God is turning everything inside and out, there, there's, there's a lot of space that's being created. In the midst of the chaos now, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, whoever's open, whoever is available be, to be used by God, is able to be used by God. Oh, Anybody feeling that at all right now? Is this, or I'm, just having, I'm just having a little church to myself, I'm, which is fine, actually. really is fine. It just, for me, it's so beautiful that, that in all the ways that things are being turned inside out that feel awful, also ways that that's happening that are really, that are really deeply good because the things are shaking and trembling so much that now uh, God is able to, to do things that are going to surprise us again. God is able to use people that are going to surprise us again. That's just part of what comes along with, with apocalyptic time, revealing time, things being revealed. There is, once again, that dual movement 
that some of what is being revealed is sin, that some of what is being revealed is violence, that some of what is being revealed is division. But at the same time, like Romans 8, once again, the world waiting for the manifestation, the revealing of the sons of God, it's also a time when the sons and daughters of God are being revealed. It's also a time where the good gifts of God are being revealed. It's also a, it's also a time, it's also a place, a moment in history where there, uh, there is secret goodness that's being revealed. I want to go back and rename this sermon Secret Goodness right now. Because I think we always think in terms of like secrets being exposed, we always think about that as like, you know, corruption. Uh, you know, now... What was in darkness is being revealed in light as a way of saying, yeah, we're, now, now, we, now we see who you really are. <laughs> but there's a flip side to that, that with these good gifts that God has put in the body of Christ, men and women who love him and who love the world and who are open and available to his voice, who have also been in darkness in a way, but now they're being revealed too. And whereas before it might, people that have been underground thinking about Elijah right now. Woe is me. I'm the last prophet left. Uh, Nobody else loves God but me. Oh, actually, God reveals, here's 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee. Oh, there there are a bunch of you out here. Ding, ding, ding. Lights start going off all over the place. Do you know what I'm saying? Where it's this like, oh, wow. I I, I didn't know that this kind of beauty was out there. I I didn't know these other people who loved Jesus in this way. I didn't know that God was at work over here. I thought God was only, I thought we were the last ones left. You're here, to, you hear what I'm saying? Like the, 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 those lights are starting to come on as well. So alongside of all the painful things that's being revealed, and let's be clear about that, that where God works and all that is even pain that's exposed is only for the sake of healing. That's what God reveals. God reveals, I really believe this, that God reveals things that are broken and distorted because he wants to make them Right? And there is no way, um, judgment in that sense is not always a negative term. Like that, there is a way that, that we need the judgment of God because there's things that need to be set to right. We need God to make things right. So, so there's judgment in that. There's having to look at harsh realities. There, there is repentance in that. There is a turning away from some things and a, and a turning back to God. Like all of that, all of that is happening, but it's not... But it's about God ultimately wanting to make things right and wanting to make us right. He reveals even the painful things so that he might bring healing and hope. But he's also revealing that hidden goodness. He's also revealing these, these gems, all these things that God has been doing in secret places, in uh, and, and, and people who aren't drawing a lot of attention to themselves, and people who don't maybe have a lot of natural gifts or charisma or uh, haven't been on the big bright stage. But as the world's being turned upside down, God is calling these people to the center, and he's raising them up, and he's using them. I don't even know where to go um, with all of this, really. I mean, it's a wildly impractical message, I think. Like, it's just sort of like, how do you distill this down to three or four points, or what's, I mean, what's the, what's the bring home? I mean, I think, at, I think at the end of the day, at least part of this really is, in a, in a very mysterious way, uh, about opening ourselves all opening ourselves up all over again to the sovereign work of the Spirit of God, do those things which only the Holy Spirit can do, you know? And to just be aware that uh, all the more in apocalyptic times and in times where there seems to be a lot of shaking and uh, a lot of trembling, a lot of things are being stirred up in us, we don't want to try to meet 
any of that out of our own resources. We don't want to do that in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we don't, we don't know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, there's something so... That's part of what's powerful, too, about apocalyptic times, right? Is that it kind of has a way of making things simple again. <laughs> that once you get... Once things get uh, dark enough, once things get bleak enough, what are you going to do but trust God? Because what else can you do? I'm all out of answers. <laughs> what do you think is happening? I don't know. What do you? I don't know. <laughs> well, imagine that. We may have to trust God. <laughs> we might even have to pray. Imagine that. <laughs> Has it come to that? We're going to have to pray. <laughs> We used to always we used to joke that way in my family. I would ask for prayer. Has it come to that? <laughs> All out options. Nothing else. Well, I guess, I guess we better pray. <laughs> but that, that's, that's precisely where and how these times that feel so apocalyptic are so strategic in that way. Is they, if we'll receive it in the right spirit, will push us deeper into the presence of God make us more available to the Spirit of God and open us up for possibilities that we could not have seen before. Open us up to be used by God and encounter God in ways that we would not have before. It's apocalyptic times are always scary, but if we have a sense of what God's doing and what God's up to, that somehow even in the midst of all of the shaking, that God has his own good purposes that he's trying to work it just gives us the, the space, I think, to freak out a little bit less and, and to lean in a little bit more to, to the grace that God has in that kind of time and in that kind of moment. Anybody hear me preach? I want to take a few minutes to pray. I wasn't sure before how I was landing this, but a few minutes to pray before we, uh, we come to the Lord's table. And I want to, I, I have no expectations about this. I don't want to manufacture anything. I don't want to make anything happen. That's so not my way. But I, I just think that um, part of what we need to do, what we have to do in a moment like this, is to align our own hearts just to be open and available to the Holy Spirit. And I would love it if we had just a few moments to, um, to just give the Spirit that kind of space to work in us and for us to respond um, just before we pray, last thing I want to say, I said that specifically to daughters before, but I feel so strongly this morning about uh, just all kinds of callings that are represented in this room and some things that have laid dormant for a very long time. Man, that's part of what's interesting in these really apocalyptic kind of upside-down seasons is that all of a sudden something just comes on again, something comes to life again, and I love that, oh man, I'm, I'm trying to stop preaching, can't you tell? I, I love the, the bit about the young and the old with the visions and dreams. So, yeah, that's great. When, and I love it when young people, I love it when students, I love it when 20-somethings are open in this way. But it's also especially beautiful to me that people who feel like they're past their prime and I've already had my day and time to pass this thing off to the grandkids or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, that God has these surprises in store for you. People who thought like they were essentially done, and you're not done. More like this is your moment, this is your time. And there's, there's gifts in you that God wants to stir. Stand with me, or I'll just keep talking, I'm afraid.
Lord, we, we just pause now to, to be still and quiet before the one who loves us. And if there's any leading in this moment, um, I just feel like uh, that in the same way that Joel has all these words of comfort in an apocalyptic, unstable time, I really just believe that you want to speak a word of comfort to your sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, you would give us the grace to believe that in the midst of the shaking, there is a good work that you are doing in us. This isn't just about locusts and plagues. This isn't just about um, the sun going dark or the moon turning to blood. But the way that you want to pour out your spirit. And I pray that in the quaking and in the instability of this moment now, Lord, that we would be available to you like never before. God, I'm thinking about a friend who's here right now who lost his job this week. God, I'm thinking about another friend who's in this room right now who's going through a divorce that seems to have come out of nowhere, not their choosing. I'm thinking about people who in all kinds of ways and places are coming into moments right now where they really don't know what's what. Everything feels upside down. They feel upside down. They don't know where you are. They don't know what you're doing. I, I have no pat answers for any of that, but God, I pray that you would reveal your grace. God, I pray that you would reveal your spirit. God, I pray that in the starkness of such times, that we would cling more tightly to you, that we would cling more tightly to each other, Pray that you would make your grace known to us. I want to just invite you right where you are. That if you are, uh, maybe just keep your eyes closed, just keep attention very much on Jesus here. But if you're in a moment where you want to be available to the Spirit of God, you want God to use you. If God is pouring out a spirit upon all flesh and any of his sons and daughters can prophesy, can speak his truth, you want to be used to speak as his mouthpiece. You want to be available for him to touch through your hands and to love through your, through your words. If you want to just be available to the spirit in that way, can I ask you real charismatic style to just lift your hands to the Lord and let's just tell him that and let's just make ourselves available God, here we are, hands up in surrender, hands up in surrender. Lord, in this room, God, our sons and daughters who have, you are placing words in them that need to be spoken. You are placing dreams in them that need to be fulfilled. Not selfish ambition, not personal desires, but for your kingdom, dreams and visions. God, I pray that you would stir up those good gifts right now. I pray, God, that you would... Um, Allow your power to fall freshly on us. Lord, let us not be deceived into thinking that somehow that in this day, that in this hour, 
there's anything that in any way that we can rely on the arm of the flesh. Only you, Lord. Only you can do it. Only you have the power. Only you have the grace that we need. So we just open ourselves up to you. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. Could you just whisper that to the Lord in your own way? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, come, come. We invite you to come in this room. But Lord, we invite you to come in us. We open the door wide open. <laughs> some rooms, you, we haven't let you in in a very long time in some cases. Come, Holy Spirit. Turn it upside down. Move around what you want to move. Change what you want to change. Come and sweep through us, Spirit of God, in a way that will surprise us. <laughs> in a way that will stir up hope. And as it was in the day of Pentecost, bewilderment in some cases too. But hope, Lord. God, I pray that you would deliver us from cynicism. Pray that you would deliver us, God, from that thing that we do where things feel kind of dark and we just start assuming the worst about everything. Lord, that you would stir up hope in the hearts of your people again. Lord, you need your people to speak hopeful words. You need us to speak hopeful truth. You need us to speak the truth in love. You need us to embody your love in the world. You've called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lord, that we would be salty again, that we would be light again, that we would be set on fire with the Holy Spirit again. If this doesn't make you uber uncomfortable, and if so, you know, feel free to like, if you need to kind of withdraw into an inner shell, that's really okay. But would I, am I branching us out too far if I ask if you could just kind of turn around and just gently lay a hand on the shoulders of people around and just pray for each other in the same way? God, we just ask, Lord, for our friends, for our brothers and sisters. We pray over them. God, fill them freshly with the Holy Spirit. Fill them freshly with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, you know exactly where each of them are. And I love it, God, how even when we lay hands on someone else and we pray for someone else, that these are exactly the moments that somehow you seem to refill us and you reach inside of us. God, we just lift them before you. And we ask Jesus for you to pour out your gifts upon them, your grace upon them, your anointing upon them. God, we know that your hand is on them, so we just place our hands on them as a way of affirming what you're already doing. And we say, beloved son, beloved daughter of God, speak God's truth, operate in God's power, be his mouthpiece, be his vessel. Oh, Lord, let, let whatever gifts that you're stirring up inside of them, let them be let them be loosed, Lord. Let them be loosed. <laughs> I just uh, we, keep praying with me, but I just that's my that's the image for me right now is that some of this sometimes what God does in the shaking is that there's a shaking loose. <laughs> that's what's happening. Things are shaking because there's things inside of us that need to be shaken loose. God, dreams and visions that need to be shaken loose. <sighs> things that we wouldn't have thought of on our own if we could have stayed in the comfortable places. We we wouldn't venture out in this way. But now there's things that are being shaken loose, that ought to be shaken loose. Pray that you would grant that, God. Let your spirit fall on us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just about did a prayer line, and I may do that still. I have it in me, I promise you. I was in Amarillo last week, and I did a little of that, and I think I got the bug. It was like, I forgot, I forgot I can do this. Um, but I just, I really felt like I should say this before, uh, before we, we do the creed. Just want to encourage you with this. Um, I do believe in the way that God works within the body in this way. And just, 
if while you were praying for somebody around you, if you felt like that the Lord gave you something there, gave you a word or something for that person, that just some kind of image or whatever, just want to encourage you when church is over to be brave enough to, to share that with them. And we, we'll I'll go ahead and make the disclaimer, like we already know that none of us are, you know, infallible, and I would encourage you not to, I don't know, you know, don't go crazy with this thing. You always, <laughs> there's always that one guy, right? That's who the disclaimer is for. <laughs> I just... I just felt like the Lord was telling me that uh, you're a terrible sinner, and uh, he, he's, he hates you with everlasting hate, and uh, it's like nothing like off the rails, but if there's something in love and edification and encouragement that the Lord gave you, like in that moment, I would just encourage you before we're, 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 we leave today just to, to find an opportunity to, to share that. Pastor Brent. Would... Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.